Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes, a 30-year Wall Street veteran that has had to go underground and take on a secret identity in order to provide my candid views on a handful of stocks we screen for here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV, you've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, it is November 16th, 2015. Uh, I've run a screen here in the shop I call Good Companies at Good Prices, and uh, I'll tell you about that in a minute, exactly what that is. But first, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, I run a portfolio during the week. I've been a longtime analyst and portfolio manager, and we do a lot of careful analysis around the fundamentals. We talk to management teams. We do modeling. And of course, as longtime listeners know, I'm very careful to do none of that here on the show. Uh, also, uh, I've been drinking. Not that heavily, uh, like in the past, but uh, just a little bit, enough to cause some uncertainty about uh, whether I'm uh, going to be value added or not. Third, um, I may not have your best interests in mind, so please do your own work and, uh, and, and go check out everything I say because uh, I may actually accidentally do the opposite of what's best for you, so keep that in mind. Um, and then uh, I think there's one other caveat. Uh, which might be uh, related to uh, I may own some of these stocks, I may own none of them. I will try to tell you when I own one. I don't own any this week, and uh, I guess that's good. So um, so let me uh, kick off here. I've done a little screen here in the show, or in the shop, I should say, called Good Companies at Good Prices. And so... What does that mean? Well, first we've done large caps, uh, so that uh, we're just takers of uh, consensus estimates and things like that. I've looked for balance, good balance sheets, pretty good. I want operating margins better than 10%. I'm looking for, uh, you know, I run a, a basically a screen on enterprise value to revenue. I don't want to cut out earnings because some companies are losing money. They could be tremendous. Uh, opportunities so you don't want to cut those out and so uh, we're looking for two times revenue or less and then I'm looking for returns on assets um, better than 10% and I think that screens out a lot of the, the dregs as I might say so um, uh, the value guys uh, talk show is going to provide three good ideas or medium medium ideas every week, I'd say, at least medium. We try to beat medium, but they could be just medium. And there's about 10 years of shows. We're on iTunes. Uh, I think you can Google us up and find us. I have been less than perfectly consistent with the show, I admit. I've been traveling. My one value guys moved away, etc. So we're just going to move ahead. We have a lot of email that says, Val, bring back the show. And again, my name is Val Hughes, which stands for values. Okay. Not my real name. Of course, we go incognito uh, so we can have some flexibility around that. And of course, um, you know, any investing, of course, you should go talk to your advisor, whoever that may be. It's presumably not me. Um, and so uh, my lawyer says I should remind you that. Now, an important thing that's happened here on the show is after all these years, uh, we do have a sponsor, and so, um, you know, the sponsor is a uh, regulated RIA, and uh, they're friends of mine, I just want to say, so let me get that out in the open. So I may be completely biased, you, you might not want to get involved in this at all, but let me just read you some approved copy from their compliance uh, department. Uh, right now, I'd like to talk for a minute about our new sponsor, Falcon Capital Management, LLC. Falcon is a new SEC-registered investment advisor managing equity strategies using a value approach pretty much like we talk about here on the show with a team of institutional investment professionals averaging nearly 30 years in the business. 
The approach is based on fundamental equity research that leads to estimates of the true worth of the underlying companies, adhering to lessons taught by value investor pioneers like Ben Graham and John Burr Williams. Falcon will buy a stock when it can be purchased at a significant discount to the estimate of the underlying true worth of the company and patiently own it until it can be sold at fair value or even a premium to fair value. Falcon is traditionally offered only separately managed value-based strategies, but now for the first time has introduced a mutual fund called Falcon Focus SCV Fund with the ticker FALCX. The fund is designed to be available to the individual investor with lower minimums and then the separate account platform and a higher level of customer service. To find out more about the fund, please visit the Falcon Fund website at www.falcx.com, download the prospectus, and read it carefully. If you believe this fund is suitable for you, then please download an application and fill it out and mail it in with your check to the fund company. If you have any questions during this process, call the fund's call center at 855-553-2529. That's 855.55FALCX. I'm also pleased to tell you that the fund is now available through TD Ameritrade. All you need to do is go to www.tdameritrade.com and click on the tab labeled Mutual Funds and enter the ticker FALCX. That's at tdameritrade.com, mutual funds, and the ticker FALCX. And now some important information. All investing involves risk, including the potential loss of risk. An investor should consider a fund's investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses carefully before investing or sending money. This and other important information about the Falcon Fund's can be found in the fund's prospectus. To obtain a prospectus, please call 855-55-FALC-X. Read the prospectus carefully. Falcon Focus SCV Fund is distributed by IMST Distributors, LLC. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, so that's that ad. I'm going to have to talk to them about shortening that. I really apologize for that. Uh, in any case, it helps to uh, it helps to keep the show going, so we do that. So let me get back to why we're doing the show. We're going to have three good ideas right now. I've done the screen. About 24 names come through that screen, and uh, I've chosen three of them. What can I tell you? Um, and let me tell you what they are. Chemed Corp, ticker CHE, MSC, Industrial Direct Company, Inc., uh, their ticker is MSM, not sure why, seems silly, anyway, and then Westlake Chemical Corp, ticker WLK. Now, as I've said over the years, what's good about a screen is that they've passed the screen. So these are uh, companies with decent balance sheets, good operating margins, uh, and uh, a history of decent returns on assets and things like that. So, uh, and I'm going in alphabetical order, which uh, I think I invented many years ago. It was a breakthrough we had here on the show, uh, doing alphabetical order. So we just stuck with it hmm. uh, because uh, people seem to like it. So first up, <clears throat> ChemEd, C-H-E. ChemEd, uh, and I'm just reading something here. And this is an odd one, uh, ladies and gentlemen, because they operate in the healthcare and the plumbing business. So they own Roto Rooter and they own Vitus, uh, uh, and it's a healthcare company. It's it's really a hospice company. So they've got plumbing and hospice, and you know there's uh, there's some comedy in there somewhere. Um, but um, they're taking care of these serious uh, issues for people that nobody really wants to deal with, and they're doing it pretty well. And the thing that attracted me about this one is I'm looking at 10 years of history 
and their gross margin is absolutely rock solid. They're managing it. So it's basically appears to be a kind of a cost plus pricing. It's between 28 and 30 percent for 10 years. Most recent year, uh, 29.5. And then, um, you know, on the operating margin side, it's actually been improving. So, um, you know, they had a 12% operating margin year to date. This is November, uh, 11.6 last year. And, you know, these are some of their best margins in some time. So clearly they're doing something good on the cost side. Um, and while they're doing that, you know, their share count is coming down. So in 2009, they had 23 million shares. Now they've got 17 million shares. They bought a million this year. They bought two or three million since two years ago. I think that's terrific. And then their operating cash flow um, is uh, about, I'm just doing the math here, 170 million, 17 million shares. That's about 10 bucks a share, free cash flow. Uh, the stock is 148, so that's 14 times free cash flow. And so, um, you know, I sometimes like to look at the inverse of that, uh, 14 times 1 over 14, you know, what is that, about 7%, something like that. So um, it is a, uh, it's a, a pretty decent cash on cash return on free cash flow. The enterprise value of EBITDA here, I think this is another way you can look at the cash flows if you want. Just looking at something here. Um, you know what? I don't know. I can't tell what that is. Hmm. Anyway, so that's a bad report. Um, but in any case, if I just take the operating margin, which is 12% uh, times sales, billion five. So that's uh, what? Operating income of around 180 million and uh, enterprise value is, uh, let's see, I'm doing as little work as possible here. Market cap, 2.5 billion. Total debt is uh, around 140. They've got very little cash. Debt to cap is uh, 27%. So that seems pretty decent. And it's been uh, declining. So that's their best balance sheet in the decade. And their debt's down. The 130 million I just mentioned, that's their lowest debt in a decade. So they're clearly on a good path. Um, you know, one thing I'll say is that uh, Roto-Rooter, I'm sure the number of plumbing problems people have is about the same as it's always been. Household formations are a little down, perhaps, in terms of growth. But on the hospice side, you know, the baby boomers, and, and I'm one of them, um, the average year, the, the highest birth year was 1956. And so we're going to have this period now of increasing um, hospice care needs that's going to go on for quite some time until that delta starts to be a little bit relaxed. And that's a pretty certain number. And then, of course, with what's going on with health care expenses, I think hospice care uh, versus, uh, you know, end-of-life efforts to, you know, to, to, to save people that can't be saved and those kinds of expenses uh, you know, may not be as prevalent. So I think it's some kind of growth industry. Um, and if you own a, a you know, a, a funeral or death care related stock, you might want to swap it for this because um, uh, deaths, I think, uh, you know, that's a pretty competitive market. And, uh, and this one has a little more health care wrapped around it. It's got some insurance wrapped around it, some Medicare, Medicaid stuff, Obamacare wrapped around it. So I think there are some trends here just with regard to the payment structure that could be pretty interesting. And uh, it's trading at about a 20% premium to the market on PE. And so, you know, maybe I'd like to buy it a little cheaper than that. But on the other hand, I'd say that the stability of the business probably is a little bit better than average uh, than the average business. The um, return on assets here is 
12.5%. It's up from their five-year average. And the market, according to this document I'm looking at, which is a Morningstar report, um, is, uh, is 7.5%. So that's a big premium. Return on equity, 24%. The market's at 21. So they got less leverage than the market. And uh, they've got uh, returns better both on assets and equity. So ChemEd, um, certainly do your own work, but I think that's one that should go in your inbox for sure. Next up, a company called MSC Industrial Direct, ticker MSM. <clears throat> uh, what do these guys do? Well, MSC Industrial is a marketer and distributor of metalworking, and maintenance, repair, and operations supplies to customers throughout North America. Uh, this is what people call the MRO business, maintenance, repair, and operations. And the nice thing about this business is that when something breaks somewhere, um, you know, you need it. Your factory is not working, something's broken, and so you tend to get a pretty decent margin and in fact just like the company I mentioned a minute ago these guys have a super stable gross margin uh, of right around 45 percent it's even more stable than Kemet it just sits at 45 percent again that suggests to me that it's a cost plus type of pricing uh, the sales number here you know has just been going up a little bit each year there's not even a dip. Well, I'm sorry, there is a dip in 09. I was going to say, but there it is. But since then, uh, we've just been going up a little bit each year. Return on equity has been averaging 20% the last five years. Return on assets averaging 15% the last five years. And on the ROA part, that's almost twice the market. On ROE, it's a tad below the market, but that just means they have less leverage than the market. It's 16% uh, debt to capital, and uh, that's about where it has been. You know, there's nothing uh, heroic there. Uh, they just run this thing uh, very lean on the debt side, so I like that. Now, the stock's been flattish, so you momentum-type people, you're not going to like this. Uh, but again, one of the rules of thumb for me on what should the multiple be on the market has always been the inverse of the 10-year bond yield. You know, the duration on a stock. I think for you, uh, you know, quants out there, the formula is uh, 1 plus R over R. Expected return might be 20%. 1.2 over 2. Traditionally, it was 6 but nowadays, you might say it's 1.1 over 1, or 1.1 over 0.1. That gets you closer to 10. So I think the 10-year bond yield, uh, which I have sitting here somewhere, is around 2.5%. So that's 40 times. Now, you know, uh, I'd argue that the risk premium these days uh, you'd have to add it in, and maybe it's 5%, so you get to 6 or 7, and then, you know, maybe 14 times, 15 times EBIT. The pre-tax number might be the appropriate number because these, of course, bond yields are pre-tax, so you got to look at that. But there are arguments to make that a stable annuity, particularly one with pricing power, uh, is worth a multiple. And don't forget... The ultimate cause of a stock price is supply and demand. And so with bonds where they're at and the concern that rising yields are going to harm the value of principal, and that's a whole different discussion about the, you know, the ultimate value of a bond in an interest rising interest rate environment, but I'll leave that for another day. But the argument might be that the supply of high-quality bonds is down that can give you a yield. And so people are turning their attention to the stocks and the ones that they can have confidence in. So I have no uh, doubt that the multiple on these names over the next 10 years is going to be on average less than it was the last 10 years. And or I'm sorry, did I say that wrong? I have been drinking. I'm having a fat tire tonight, which is delicious, by the way. Um, so no, multiple should be higher. The re 
return on capital or the return on uh, investment required return on investment should be down because the delta to the bond is down um, and I think that's going to be lasting a long time but in any case MSC what else can I tell you well they've been very static their earnings numbers you know they earned four bucks in 2011 378 379 374 374 uh, now they've been raising the dividend during that period, so they are providing you a little bit of a yield, a buck sixty in the dividend on a sixty-dollar stock price, and uh, someone other than me can figure that out. It's uh, what around three percent or something. Uh, so it's is it? No, I'm looking at the wrong number. Let's see here. Let me dial this up on my calculator. One, oops, one point six. Enter uh, divided by sixty. So two point six. I guess three wasn't too far off. Uh, the PE right now is sitting right at uh, let's see, sixteen times. And the forward's the same because the estimate's flat. This thing's very flat. But the thing that's valuable about it is the stability. And I also have a thesis that oil prices, I think I talked about this last week, oil prices are down. And so uh, costs are going to be moving down. A lot of firms have one-year contracts forward. These guys... I'm sure a lot of their customers are going to start paying less for energy because those longer-term contracts are going to start coming off. And as they do that, um, who knows? I mean, they may expand capacity. They Who knows what they might do? I believe that U.S. manufacturing, once it gets through this China thing, is going to have a little bit of a period here that's better than uh, it's been in the last number of years, in part because we've got cheap energy and we got more of it and I think that's going to be a catalyst to the United States gaining some market share in world manufacturing and uh, that should increase demand for some of these guys product MRO um, they've been a little as I said they've been a little sluggish on revenue and their operating margin is coming in it's flattish the last couple of years it is coming in a little bit and I would say that uh, that suggests to me there's some pricing pressure. It also could be a mix shift. And, of course, since I'm doing as little work as possible here, uh, the notion is I'm just throwing out some ideas to look at, basically. And so um, I will note that two of their big competitors, Fastenal and Granger, you know, uh, the CEO of Fastenal came out a couple of weeks ago and said that there is an industrial recession going on. And... I'm sure he's way smarter than me, but all I'd say is that um, when the oil industry goes from $100 oil to $50 oil, they stop doing anything. They certainly were willing to pay up a lot for stuff to be delivered, you know, in an hour during those times when the pricing was so high. And we've seen this before. So when everyone stops ordering anything in the oil industry, guys like Fastenal are going to say we're in an industrial recession. So I don't have any issue with that, but I don't think we're in industrial recession. And I think the other side of that, you know, quick reduction in factory orders is going to come next year when people are seeing an expansion in their margins. So anyway, I don't have much else to add here. MSC Industrial, ticker MSM. Okay, one more. And this one, at least according to Morningstar, has very high uncertainty. So, as if these other ones are more certain. Let's see. Uh, well, on ChemEd, they don't even have an uncertainty rating, so that makes me uncertain. On MSC, it's medium. Medium, so that's good. Westlake, very high. So, uh, okay, fine. What do I like about Westlake? Well, again, they passed the screen. So I like that. I've already talked about that. Um, these guys are a manufacturer and marketer of basic chemicals, vinyls, polymers, and fabricated products. Now, one caveat I'll mention is that there is 
some famous investor, I couldn't quote who it is right now, that said, you know, commodities are where value investors go to die. And that very well could be. I have owned some steel distribution this year that hasn't done great, a couple of other things. But, um, you know, as long as you have a thesis around a core competitive advantage, which is often costs or reach or patents or whatever, I think, you know, you, you can you can ride out some of these bad periods. Now, on this one, Westlake Chemical, here's what I don't know, because I'm just doing as little work as possible. I don't know how much of their business is from China. And if it's a lot, uh, they're going to have some declines. I will say that their most recent couple of quarters have been okay. The March quarter was down a little bit. June and September were up. doesn't look like they're about to fall off a cliff, but, you know, I wouldn't know that. Uh, their balance sheet is um, pretty good. Again, that was part of the screen. 24% debt to equity. Uh, their debt has it's higher than I'd like, but it's been very flat for five years. They don't look like they really want to do much there. Uh, their capital spending is uh, ramping up, and I'm going to assume that that's related to expansions of capacity. And, of course, it ties in with their revenues rising a lot. So they did $3 billion in revenue in 2010, $4.6 billion trailing 12 months. Uh, their gross margin has also been rising precipitously. So it was 15% in 2010. 28% trailing 12, um, and I just haven't done enough work to know it's just a bubble for them or not. But one of the theses simply would be, theses, if I could say that, is simply that, again, the input costs to their process, when you're uh, a manufacturer of basic chemicals, you're probably buying oil or barrels of oil or part of the oil, and, of course, olefins, are in the barrel, so that's uh, undoubtedly going to be coming down in price for them. It has in the spot market, but my guess is that's going to come in for them. And uh, it's possible that um, the gross margin could rise more, or they could pass along the price cuts or the cost cuts that they receive in pricing, improve their uh, their market share. You know, I don't know. Also, earnings here have been rising pretty rapidly. Um, the stock has done pretty well. It's gone from, uh, well, it's done very well. So, again, uh, if you're a momentum guy, you're going to like this. The reason I like it is simply that it's got great returns on equity, 24%. Great return on assets, 14%. This is well above the industry and the overall market. And so um, I think that that's a pretty good situation. Their cash, so I said they have a 24% debt to capital. The cash here is actually higher than their debt. They got $880 million in cash, $764 million in debt. So that says to me that uh, they're net cash positive. So that's pretty good. Uh, revenue growth has been coming in pretty strong, but again, I don't, I, I can't tell you whether that's sustainable or not. Uh, this is one that really is a do-your-own-work uh, name, in part because it could be kind of peaky. The stock's been down uh, over the last 12 months during a period where revenues are up and uh, earnings are a little flattish. Um, their share count's been absolutely stable for 10 years, so they're not putting money into that. And their capital spending, as I said earlier, is rising a little bit. So they're, they're building capacity. And uh, is that because they know that their costs are about to come down and the demand's about to go up? Well, you'd hope so. Again, otherwise, management's making a big mistake. So a lot of times, you know, uh, you've got to rely on management. But on this one, what I haven't done, which, of course, that were during the daytime, and I was actually, you know, doing this for a client, I would go and read the... Uh, the transcripts, you know, Seeking Alpha is a great free source for that nowadays. And see what management's actually saying. And I just turn to the back, see what the analysts are asking management. That's often an indication, first, of what Wall Street analysts don't actually know. You can read these questions and say, really, you didn't already know that? That seems odd because you're 
you've got reports out on this thing. But in any case, um, be that as it may, you know, there's a ton of information available in Seeking Alpha. In fact, my whole job when I got in the business 30 years ago is now free online. So I think that explains a lot about uh, the shrinkage of entry-level positions in the uh, investment business is just that so much of the stuff is just click click and there it is but you got to still read it and think about it and I will say I haven't done any of that but in any case Westlake Chemical uh, summary is uh, what is my summary it's 10 times earnings ladies and gentlemen 10 times earnings 7 times free cash flow 24% return on equity 14% return on assets. So when I see something that cheap and that high of return, it suggests things are peaky. So again, if you want to test yourself, go and figure that out. Um, and I think it also tells you that um, that won't be my number one pick this week, uh, Phil. If you're listening, it's not going to be Westlake. I just thought that you know it's an interesting case study because you've got high returns on assets, high returns on equity, normally you'd like that, and a low multiple. So normally you'd like all that. But in this case, because the stock is sort of moving slightly downish, and yet you've got peaky numbers on returns, low numbers on valuation, it just begs for more work. And the place to go find it is in the backlog, could be shrinking, it could be that I'm completely mistaken about the fact that their uh, input costs are going to go down. Maybe there's something I don't understand. I mean, there almost certainly is. So I'd go look at all that, uh, and then uh, and then you know make your own conclusion about that. So three names this week: ChemEd, MSC, and uh, Westlake. And I guess I could save it to the end of the show tell you my favorite. I mean, that's always been what I've done, so I will do that. And now we have a part of the show that, uh, again, we've been doing this a long time. It's called walking, or no, wait, is it, what is it called? Page, paging through, I think, paging through national economic trends. So the problem with that, though, as I mentioned last week, is that the national economic trends put out by the St. Louis Federal Reserve, which is a great publication, it's now just available one page at a time. So you can click through it on your internet machine, but you can't print the whole thing anymore. Um, and I've actually, I left a voicemail today over there to say, hey, how about those of us that want to print it, take it on the train, take a few notes, that kind of thing. They've completely taken that away. So anyway, I haven't printed anything. I have a new approach to doing this because they have taken away my, you know, press here and print uh, capability. So um, I'm going to go print a couple of things. And I'm just going to end up printing the most current releases. So one of the things they do offer on the site now at FRED, which stands for Federal Reserve Economic Data, is they have a big calendar of when these news releases come out. And so I'm just doing the ones that came out most recently and I picked a few to talk about but I'm gonna go print those and I will be right back Okay, everybody, we're back. I printed a few things. I've just gone off the calendar, and I went through stuff from the last couple of weeks, stuff that looked interesting, and there's two sources in there now. Uh, one is FRED, so Federal Reserve Economic Data, and that's a great tool. I've been talking about that for a long time. I love that uh, because you can do all kinds of stuff. You get the data. You can do year-over-year -year changes, logarithms, you can pick any time period, etc. So it's very useful in that way. And I'll admit, you couldn't do that with the paper version. 
Um, you know, I have a slide rule and stuff, but that still didn't help me do it. And then they have a thing called uh, that's again we the government's always printed this, but now it's kind of available in the same spot. It's called U.S. Financial Data, and uh, and so I just kind of went through here, picked out a few things. Uh, so let me get right into it here. Uh, first up on our section called Paging Through National Economic Trends is ISM Manufacturing New Orders. And I think that stands for Institute for Supply Management. And if you ever want to do a survey and start publishing it, this is the kind to do. They the kind of survey to do. They basically talk to a bunch of folks and they ask them are things good or bad and then their number is the percentage of them that say things are good or bad so I just printed out uh, about 60 years of this index it's called the new orders index and of course there's a ton of uncertainty right now but guess what there always is okay and when I look at this chart what I would say to you is the most current number is right on 50. That means half think it's good, half think it's bad. You know what? That sounds normal. And when I look back over time, back to 1950, um, and I don't know, I mean, back in 1950, there were less, or I should say, fewer scary internet headlines every day. So maybe things were a little more stable then. But um, it appears that every couple of years, things hit 50. Lots of times they go well below 50. The, the, the bottom of this, of course, was in 0809 when we got down to 25% thought things were good. Uh, and you just wonder who those people were back in uh, February of 09. But that's the low. Also in 1980, we got to that same number, and uh, that's about the worst it got. In 1974, 30 was the low. 1948, I think, was a recession year. Even I wasn't born then, but that got to about 30. The peaks are about 70. So, uh, you know, the, the, the negatives seem to get worse than the positives. But we're right at 50 right now, and this thing bounces all over the place. Uh, I will note that uh, this thing got to 50 back in uh, 2012. Things kept doing well. They got to 50 um, in 2003, uh, which, you know, things were still pretty good. And in the 90s, which was a pretty good decade, they hit 50 uh, three different times, four different times. And so I don't know how great of an indicator this is, other than, um, you know, recessions come coincident to this thing being down, but it doesn't appear that it's that great of a predictor. So I just, I just say this because if you're looking at that and you're getting nervous, I'm not sure that's the big predictor. Uh, okay, now I got another one. Just caught my eye. The Cleveland financial stress index. Uh, now, one thing you got to love about Cleveland is that um, it's been there a long time. Uh, I think it was the first new town really created as a result of the Erie Canal, and it became the, uh, the port for the United States to really begin to grow and sell stuff to Europe. Everything got on the water and it was cheaper to move. And so it's a huge deal. A lot of canals in Ohio, for people that don't know that. Uh, so it was a huge economic engine back in the 1820s. So is it still? I don't know, but they're still measuring the financial stress. And there's still a lot of machine tools there, of course, from the time of Rockefeller and the refinery industry. And, uh, things like that. Um, and so what I would say is the Cleveland Financial Stress Index, I've got this number sitting here back to 1994, and it's, uh, it's going up. It was uh, at a 20-year low 
back in 2014. And I don't know what this, this is. I've never really focused on this before. It just caught my eye. There's something called a Z-score, which I'm sure is related to the, uh, the bell curve and the distribution of that. That's what I'm going to guess. So it could be back in 14, minus 2. That could be two standard deviations. And right now, it went from minus 2 back then to 0. And 0, but on the way up, kind of. There's been a little bump. So I don't know. Stress seems to be not as high as it was in 2012 or 2011 or a bunch of other times. So, again, maybe we shouldn't be so stressed out. Okay, here's another one that caught my eye. The trade-weighted U.S. dollar index for major currencies. Now, you hear a lot of people talking about currencies. Now, I got in the business in uh, 1980, and from 80 to 85, the U.S. dollar just was going straight up. And uh, why that is, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it had to do with maybe Ronald Reagan, uh, you know, the, the Cold War, winning the Cold War. People wanted to get into dollars. Um, and, of course, this is ultimately just supply and demand. When people demand dollars, the price of dollars goes up. So, but from 1984 through 1995, the dollar was just kind of going down. And that makes sense. The rest of the world was growing. Uh, we're kind of at the edge of the envelope for productivity per capita, GD per capita. So as other countries grow, particularly China, India, places like that, that didn't used to, you know, have enough food to eat and became... Uh, self-sufficient over the last 20 years or so or 10 years you know it makes sense that they're growing faster their currencies start to be an important component of world trade the demand for the dollar falls off not because the United States is weaker but because they're getting stronger and there's more trade in their currency because their economies are growing faster I'm not an economist but that just seems to be common sense and so then from, uh, then it went up for a little bit in the uh, late 90s. Again, why was that? Well, I think oil started going up again. And of course, the world trades in oil. That's been a factor here uh, during that time, would be my guess. And then from 2000 to 2012, down again. And again, I've seen two PhDs in economics arguing about currency, so I'm not sure there's exactly a good answer here. But now since 2012, currency, U.S. dollar has been going up. It's been going up a lot for the last few years. It's just uh, since, let's say, 2014, it looks like. And we're just getting back to where uh, the dollar was back in 03, or it was here in 1997, uh, again, as an index, or back in... Uh, you know, 1987. So, yes, it's rising, but it's rising within a range that it seems to hit, uh, you know, not infrequently, I'd just say. So, um, and I think, again, why is this happening? Well, in, in the current time frame, I think it's a flight to safety. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's why you have this uh, unusual situation where, um, everyone's fearing inflation or everyone's fearing credit, you know, the credit of the U.S. government and all that, but yet the yields keep going down. Why? Yield is a price. So the, uh, the dollar has been going up for the last couple of years, and I think that's just a demand because of the flight to safety. It also explains why um, yields have been going down. It's because you have this tremendous demand that's um, unrelated to, um, you know, the actual yield. It's more, we just want safety. And when prices go up, of course, uh, yields go down. So that's, uh, that's been part of this, I think. Okay, well, I'm no expert on currency. Could be obvious from my comments. Okay, now here's one that was, I thought, pretty interesting. And I didn't know this existed. One of the benefits of Fred is you can, 
you know, you, there's more stuff in there than was ever in the national economic trends. So you see all of it. And uh, it's pretty interesting. So here's something that came out November 2nd called Economic Policy Uncertainty Index for the United States. And uh, the source here is, uh, I think it's just coming out of the St. Louis Federal Reserve. They've got some guys in there. We're figuring this out. I don't know where this even comes from or what they're even measuring. So that's something that we all need to look into. If you figure it out, give me a call. I, I Again, I'm spending as little time as possible. But what I will say, and I printed this back to about 1985, is that um, this thing is, uh, you know, it's volatile. The uncertainty index is uncertain, and it's moving around. Uh, right now, we're sitting at an index, and again, this is, you know, kind of funny, 100, which is, I'm sure, the base number. And it looks like they've been doing this back just to 1985, 30 years. Whether they were doing it at the time or they back did it, you know, back tested it back to then with data they had. I mean, I'm not sure what this is. It's probably a mix of uh, yield spreads and... Uh, insurance costs and, you know, standard deviation of uh, monthly stock return, you know, I, I don't know what's in here. So I'm going to put that on my to-do list to figure that out. But in any case, it's uh, it's at 100. Now, back in uh, 2007, uh, it was at this level and it just started rising. So the peak on this recently was in 2013. It got up to 240 Again, as an index, my guess is that relates to the, the VIX index or the volatility index on, uh, on equities. But it's been coming straight down for three years. So the uncertainty in the United States is getting less uncertain. But my point would be this thing moves around. Things are always uncertain. Okay. Next up. Uh, this comes from uh, the U.S. financial data. I'm not sure the date of this data, but it looks like it's pretty recent. And it's called Bank Loans and Credit. So uh, there's bank credit and then there's loans. And what I would say here, this goes back to 1974. This thing was going straight up until 2000. And, of course, we had an event there where this mark-to-market rule, in effect, prevented and the capital requirements at banks prevented most financial institutions from lending any money. Basically, the regulators just were in there saying, you don't have the capital to lend. Or insurance companies, you don't have the capital to write new insurance. And it was regulatory uh uh, regulation driven I should say and it came down demand for bank credit came down for the first time uh, since 19 I mean there it never went down on this chart so uh, who knows if it went down prior to that it probably did but this only goes back to 1974 it never went down 2009 it goes down and uh, but now we've been going straight up so Bank loans, um, you know, the number for bank loans currently, and this is seasonally adjusted, so I don't know what this is. Is this annual? But it's 12,000 billion. And, uh, you know, it was only 6,000 billion in 2004. So you, it's doubled since then and uh, I think that's 12 trillion so bank loans 12 trillion now undoubtedly there's a uh, a different chart of how much bank debt is getting paid off uh, and maybe that would be a good thing to see so you could see the incremental uh, increase in net loans outstanding and that's somewhere. I don't have that here. But that's an amazing number. It's at all-time highs. And part of that, of course, is rates are low. Uh, but it 
it certainly doesn't suggest a recession's coming. If anything, it suggests that we're going to get a bubble somewhere. And uh, personally, I hope it's in equities. Um, but, you know, what have you, that seems pretty good for the economy ahead. Bank loans today turn into uh, construction, capital equipment purchases, consumer purchases, things like that over the next, you know, year. And so that bodes pretty well, I'd say, for the future, at least the near-term future. And then uh, same story in commercial and industrial loans. So this is obviously a subset of the number I just said, but same trend. Uh, we're at all-time highs in uh, bank commercial loans, 2000 billion. I don't know why they don't just write 2 trillion. Maybe that seems too big to the Federal Reserve of St. Louis, but it's, it's $2 trillion, um, and uh, that's commercial and industrial loans. And it's been rising at a very precipitous rate for the last year. And so, again, I think that bodes well for the, for the next 12 months or so. And then uh, what else do I have here? That's it. Holy cow. That's it. That's, uh, we got through all that. So that's the show. I'm not very good at endings, but um, three good ideas a little bit of the economy, and uh, I think that's about all we ever did here, other than we had a, we sometimes have a little news, I didn't do that this week, and uh, for long-time listeners, it's good for you to know, I did talk to Mo this morning, I'm trying to lure him back to the show, he's moved away, so if anyone has a technology to get Mo on the show, uh, I think he's open to that, but he's, we can't, you know, he's, it's not as easy as it once was. So uh, let me get back and tell you here my favorite. And I think Phil invented this, naming the favorite, which I think was a good innovation a few years ago. Um, so honestly, I think the one I'm going to go with here for my favorite is Chemed, ticker C-H-E, the combination um, hospice and roto-rooter because all the numbers seem to be going well. Their gross margins have been stable, yet they've been slowly improving the operating margin. They're buying a ton of stock back, and it's sitting at uh, the returns are all good, and the price-earnings ratio here is a little higher than it has been, but I think the improvement in returns makes it worth it. Ticker C-H-E Chemet. And that's all we have, so... So long, everybody. See you next time.